Hey, all my IFG friends, this is Steve. I want to say, you know, if you like movies like I do, we've started a new podcast called Happy Hour Flicks. Uh, you can find it anywhere podcasts are found. It's all about nostalgic movies that we love, and we bring on special guests each episode, and we also have specialty cocktails made for each one, too. So it really is an hour of a good time talking about movies that we love, like Gremlins, uh, Seven, uh, Free Willy. Uh, we talk about The Last Starfighter also. So, I mean, we kind of run the gamut across all the decades and really have a great time. So I wanted to invite you to come over and join us at Happy Hour Flicks, anywhere podcasts are found. We had about three million, and, and I told him then, we, you know, let's just cut it and run. But Scott wanted to make the movie. <laughs> <laughs> This is the, the independent, independent, independent filmmaker's guide from Framework Productions. Framework, Framework Productions. On IFG, we talk about independent film from development through delivery. By featuring discussions with creators and collaborators about their experiences, we form a roadmap to help you have the most success with your projects. After working together on other films for over 15 years, actor Vinnie Jones and director Scott Wiper teamed up to make a movie of their own. Together, they pushed hard to create not just another action movie, but a crime drama noir with deeper characters and storylines. Vinnie Jones didn't only star in the film, but he also jumped into the role of producer for the first time in his career to make The Big Ugly. I go into casting sometimes, you know, and I say, look, take a chance on me. I don't, you know, give me something different. I'll blow it out the water for you. That's Vinnie Jones. If you don't know him, he's been in over 100 movies, including two of my favorites, Snatch and Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. He's the actor and producer for The Big Ugly. They say that, you know, a script has three parts of, of writing. There's, there's the script you take into production, there's shooting, and then there's editing. And that's Scott Wiper, screenwriter and director of The Big Ugly. Scott and I, we worked on The Condemned many years ago, and... Basically, you know, you start with an idea or a dream, and um, we we kind of wanted to make a point. I'm your host, Stephen Pierce. We wanted to show people that I had more than just killing people and getting killed at the end of the movie, and Scott wanted to show me what a brilliant writer, director he is. So that was our mission, really. Um, but obviously, like a lot of people, it's all right having a dream, but you've got to you know, find the beginning and the end of the rainbow. That's the hardest part. There's a lot of moving parts in between. And so what do you think was a, like the biggest takeaway for you as being an actor before and then now producing? Are there things that you'd like better about each of those? Yeah, I think every actor should be a producer. They'll know how difficult it is. You know, um, there, there's quite a lot of actors that, that need the discipline of what, goes on behind the scenes I think it would make them better actors I definitely agree with that there's a lot of action in this movie for an independent film that's quite an undertaking what was that whole sequence like how did you guys approach all those stunts well Vinny and I I think we uh, there was when we filmed The Condemned uh, we probably I think there was a total of 17 fight scenes so working with VJ we've got that down uh, and Something like the condemned, we had sixty-three days of shooting. On this, we had twenty-five. So, when we came to the action, um, uh, we moved fast. You know, we weren't trying to uh, show that this was. A, I think our overall theme was 
um, we're not out to compete with a hundred million dollar studio film. On this, we kind of embraced we're a we're a film noir. You got independent financing and you made the movie outside of the system entirely. So how did that open any doors creatively for both of you? Like, did that make you feel like you could do a role, Vinny, that you weren't allowed to do before? hundred percent. Scott and I became very close on The Condemned out in Australia. We filmed that. Became very good friends, um, brothers. And, you know, that it was our baby. And, you know, it's like anything, you have these ideas, but then it's like, okay, we went through the Hollywood route, uh, which didn't really work, you know, you know, I'm, I, there's so many people at it. So, um, we had a, we had a slice of luck, a friend of mine in Detroit put us in contact with somebody. One of the money guys fell out. Another guy came in. I think that the turning point was, um, Scott and his boys did a sizzler reel. And if you go to investors, the same of executive producers and stuff like that, if you go with them with a script and stuff, it's very hard for them to visualize and everything else. Scott done a reel with, you know, over, you know, 20 of my movies and, and other movies and just that, said, look, this is the kind of movie, this is how it's going to look. Um, and I think that was the master stroke with the investors. So talk about how you assembled that, Scott. What was the sizzle reel? Well, you got to convince someone in three minutes that it's something to be excited about. And this actually was, um, I think it was 85 seconds. And Vinny would, Vinny recorded, we wrote a voiceover like a movie trailer. And I sat on, and I was staying at a guy's house and you said, this has got to be done tonight. It's got to be done. And I sat on the guy's porch with a cup of tea and he sent me all the, all the notes and I put them all into my phone and sent them all to him that night. And we ended up a couple of nights doing that. And that's how he got a lot of the voiceover stuff. That came from New York on my mate, on my mate's porch. And, and that was kind of a, not a decoy, but it was kind of a, you know, like a learning curve for us to see what people thought of it. And they actually went, God, this is great. This looks great, this movie. And that was the first 85 second thing we ever did. I always felt that when Vinny's passionate about something, he'll kick in doors and get it done. And he did. The other part that uh, a lot of um, filmmakers um, overlook is you got to have your ducks in a row. When that moment comes, you have to have, uh, and someone's willing to hand you a check, you got to have that account in LLC ready. Yeah, but a bank account was set up, got sat on the doorstep of the bank waiting for it to open that day. I mean, you never know. We might just get a, you know, you never know. We might just get a check and lo and behold, one of the investors reached into his top pocket afterwards. He said, well, I'm in. He gave us a crumpled kind of a check and said, there's 775,000. You'll have the rest tomorrow. I'm in. And Scott looked at each other and said, is this really happening? You know, we kind of had in two days, we had about three million. Um, and, and I told him then, we, you know, let's just cut it and run. But Scott wanted to make the movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very Mel Brooks idea. Scott, there was a scene in the end of it where there, without giving too much renown, but there's like a scene at a table that's a very intense scene between those two very powerful, I mean, just actors. And it was such a fun scene to watch. What was it like developing those characters and shooting that particular, you know, that particular quote unquote, I guess, showdown between them? That scene, when something, when a 
took the script around Hollywood with um, uh, and got this is you know it's been this the script had been around you know for and Vinny and I first showed it to Vinny in two thousand seven right after we made the condemned, but um, people said oh, you know in a revenge movie as soon as as soon as um, Vinny gets you know does what he does to the bat to the antagonist let's call him in a revenge movie you think it's over right in a chuck norris uh steven seagal way you break the guy's neck it's a revenge movie it's over it's it's actually that we have a whole third act to uh these are spoilers but so because and that was the, the tricky thing in writing in this structure, which is wanted to do something that even after uh, revenge is had, there's a whole lot to be re resolved. It's also a, for me, it's uh, there's a lot of friendship in that scene. And I think, I think it meant a lot to those two guys who are playing the role, but it's also maybe that's me and Vinny in, in 20 years. You know what? When people saw it, most of the people say, I never saw that coming. But it, like you said, Scott, too, even, this isn't a traditional revenge movie in the fact that even though it does have kind of these set pieces and this structure, there's a lot more layering going on of character. The revenge is the device. Yes, exactly. This is about honor. This is about why two friends when you bring in money, business, family, revenge could come to that point where that's actually the best option. It's one of my favorite scenes. It's, I, think it, I think it's an epic scene in the whole movie for me. Seeing these two guys, you know, there's 25 million on the table, they choose family. Scott, whenever you have an actor, especially someone like, you know, of, of any of these, you know, of anybody in your films, acclaim and renown and artistry that they bring and they have do you ever you ever encountered something where they don't want to do something that you feel is critical for the script? And how do you address that? And then Vinny, maybe you can speak to about as an actor, if you've experienced something that you really don't believe that character would do and kind of the other side of that and how you, but where that line is of creativity and collaboration. Well, you have to talk it over, you know, I mean, it can be heated. Uh, actors can get tantrums and then they'll come back and say, look, okay, I've thought about it. Um, but you know, I remember, I remember many years ago, I spoke to Ray Winston um, one evening we were having dinner and he'd done a, a movie called The Bunker, I think it was, where he was molesting his, his son in the movie, um, or his daughter, young daughter. And I said, Ray, how could you have done it? He said, you know, that's, that's the, the art of acting. He said, my, you know, my friends outside know who I am. I said, oh, I could never have done that. I could never have done that part. And, uh, you know, maybe that's what's made Ray such a great actor, you know, that he took that part on. It's a challenge. For any director, I'd say writer, director, whether you're in a meeting, studio meeting about the script, or you're talking with an actor on set, when those questions come up, if you, uh, if you grab a chair and sit down and say, let's talk about it. And as opposed to the defensive reaction, like that's the way I wrote it. It's got to like, and that is, that is the, you know, that might've been me in when I was 23, like, like, can we just shoot it? Just shoot it. And, but if you actually, you'll find if you, if you, your body language and your, you sit back and, and have a, 10 minute conversation, it will save you seven hours. 
And we had some of those as well. I mean, you know, I mean, there was one day I came on. I said, what, what, what have you done? He said, I've been talking to Malcolm and I've been talking to Ron. And that, you know, that's where I think I've been on movies where the actors overpower the director. And I've actually said, when I've been close to a couple of directors, I've said, you know, you've got to stand up to these guys, you know, because you can't, it's like a soccer manager. You, the players can't run the dressing room. The boss has to run the dressing room and, it, you know, a director has to run that set. Um, and that is what I would say massively. You've got to sit down, explain to the actor. And obviously, the bigger the actor, the harder the job is because they're going to say, no, nah, you know, this is only your first or second movie or say, oh, I've done 50 movies. But, yeah, okay, well, let's sit down and talk to it because, you know, I wrote this and this is the reason why. And if you give them, and if you sit and reason with them, you know, Scott won the day with all of them. In this scenario, the, uh, Vinny and I were responsible for every dime. So it was, um, so you do the preemptive strike, which is uh, a lot of it is going, and Vinny would see with the other actors, I'd be off talking to them at the motel. Um, and we both would, but you're trying to get as many answers, many questions the night before or in the lead up. So let's talk about your production schedule a little bit. How many days were you all shooting? And with this, you know, type of budget and schedule, were there any days you didn't get all that you wanted or a take that you didn't want it, or you had to cut your coverage down? And how did you deal with that? They say that, you know, a script has three parts of, of writing. There's, there's the script you take into production, there's shooting, and then there's editing and you're always writing. So I think you're, no matter how much an, an incredible thing happens in like the, in the two months before shooting where your brain suddenly sees these things, um, both Vinny's brain, my brain, we saw things like we don't need it or that's too cute. That was something Vinny would always say like, do we, that, cause tone tone Vinny would sometimes say to me like, that seems a little cute or, and so you're searching for the tone, but then you actually get into production and you just start, um, pulling stuff out or combining things. And it's, it's kind of the, for me, it's the thrill of filmmaking because your writer brain becomes sharper, especially if you've made films before, because when you've cut scenes in the editing room and you, you know, especially in the old days of film, you're like, you look over at those, those reels and you're like, well, that was, you know, that, that was 250,000. And it's like, I wish I thought of that on paper. Uh, I think as well, the, one of the hardest parts is, is in the edit because you start off with a two-hour, 40-minute movie which Scott has edited together and says, right, there it is. And now we've got to take an hour out of it. And I phoned a good friend of mine, Matthew Vaughan, and he said, just, you know, if in doubt, cut it out. And, you know, Scott was like, I can't cut this out. I can't cut that out, but you've got to make the movie work. And and it's brutal for a, for a director, um, you know, to sit and watch Scott lose some of the scenes that he absolutely loved was brutal, but you have to bring it down. Well, the process, when I told you, you know, we had a, uh, you know, four months to cut this, which is what the big boys get, but they're the big boys, meaning Scorsese or Coppola. You always hear the crazy stories. But in today's world, I thought, well, it costs us nothing but two rooms at the Quality Inn, and we have a free editing facility, and the editing system's paid for. 
So, I will. I uh, I always said to the editor, this movie will never be longer than 105 minutes. 105 minutes. If you get everything perfect and you show it to people, people are naturally going to have notes. So I liked showing the. I called it the fat baby. And that way people have their notes and you're taking them and you're like, you're, and what, no, there was no huge cuts, but it was distilling things down. Wow. That's a really interesting point to get to. Most time people are just cutting, cutting, removing, removing to the last possible second. Yes. And it was, it's very painful to show people the fat baby because, but if you show them something that you think is perfect, uh, and even Vinny's, Vinny's very knowledgeable friends, even they knew, said, don't, don't show us the, you know, what you think is the director's cut. Show us when the brain is still open for notes. And, and it, it's hard because you're, but it's like showing a rough draft of a script to somebody, but you'd rather, you'd rather get notes while you're still, um, in a place where you can take them and create and it's not locked down. You're like, Oh, we finally got it. Yes. So what we did with the fat baby, because it was two and a half hours, we did it. We invited 40 people in and we did an intermission. And in between they took a tour of the aerospace facility. And, and then, so they digested the, 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 the fat piece. Then we took everyone out to dinner and went out and had drinks and, and, and everyone was listening, the editor, Vinny, me, everyone was listening. And so we had kind of seven people collecting notes from the 40 people. And when we regrouped that night, we all was like, all right, what's, what's working, what's not working, what, and more importantly, what, there was often a lot of like a character you'd hear, like, I wasn't feeling that character's motivation. And you're like, oh, well, we've got something we can put back in. Talking here about your post process, and you started in uh, Kentucky, right? And then you ended up moving to Detroit. Can you tell us about, just tell us about that experience and what it was and how that was so unique that you got to film or do post in a very unique scenario? It's great to be editing right there where you're filming. Actors can go in and see cut scenes. I like that they do that. Um, they can, everyone can see where we're headed. Um, and then, uh, I never liked moving back to Los Angeles, like to edit. It just seems like you've got all this natural organic energy wherever you filmed and then boom, you're back in city of concrete. We got like kind of a rough cut of, of some scenes and put them together. And we got the actors one Sunday and showed them. And I think, you know, it inspired them. They were like, shit, this is good. Yes. And, I, and, I, a, lot, and a lot of directors and producers can be very, um, I don't know, like secretive. And I think there was a certain amount talking with Jordan, the editor, he would send me stuff. So, you know, the scenes are like, okay, that's good to show, you know, and even clean up the sound because not everyone or uh, do some, do some basic color timing. But once you have some scenes, I think it really helps a cast. So there was a lot of uh, positive excitement. You know, see the, always see the glasses half full. There was a lot of pressure, but just to put an assembly together, you know, you could go for four editors. We had one just to put together those, uh, you know, many, many hours of, of film just to get an assembly 
when he, I had hadn't even done my job as a director, meaning he put together an assembly and people were already, already dying to see it. And you guys cut it in a theater also, just to be clear, you cut it in like a, like in an actual, you set up the edit station. We're working in a theater. Yes, it was, a, it was, um, they were called the, when did, Michigan had tax incentives, they built studios that were the size of Warner brothers in, um, Burbank. And, and then the system, the film system in Michigan collapsed and our guy, um, Greg bought that for his aerospace facility. He's basically the Tony Stark of Detroit. So we were, uh, but inside this place, there's a movie theater that was where they'd screen dailies for Transformers and Batman, Superman, a lot of huge movies that were filmed in this. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe it. This aerospace facility was once, once a movie studio, kind of a bizarre that happened at, we were already down in Kentucky and Greg said, any chance you guys need a, like I have a empty hangar, like a movie studio and I have two screening rooms. So Vinny, as, as the captain of the actors and a producer, were there ever any times where the, the schedule or circumstances cut something short that you were, you were worried about that you felt like you needed to do again, or you had to change the way you were going to do a scene? No, I was well prepped by Scott going in. Um, I fully understood my character, um, you know, and put these layers, um, in there and you can see it. I think, you know, you can see the change in Neil and, and I, that's why I've got so many good reviews. Um, uh, that, you know, I use these layers, you know, a lot of people think, you know, that was around the time when my wife passed, but it wasn't, she was very inspirational in Scott and I doing this, you know, she sent us off to, um, Appalachia. She said, go on, go out there. And we went out for four days and we wrecked it and everything else. And, you know, she came up with the Exile song at the end. Um, it was totally understanding of the character. Um, and also, I understood everybody else's characters. And Robert Duvall told me once, he said, come to work. He said, know your dialogue, know your character as well as you can. And he said, but also know the other characters you're working with that day and their dialogue. And that's what I've taken with me. And I really got a chance to use it. And, you know, and you pass it on to. You know, I mean, I I found I had a lot of respect from the other actors, not just as the producer that, you know, I've done a hundred movies and they would, and I was in a position where I could give them advice um, and say, look, this is where we're going, you know, um, and this is what we're trying to achieve. And that's what you, as, as the, you know, the team captain or the leader, the lead actor, I think that's where you've got to be. You know, I've, I've worked with some fantastic actors. The ones I have respect for is the ones that are wholeheartedly, in, you know, and you know, John Travolta came to us one day, um, first day of set, and he said, I, and we was all terrified, it was the first day of set, and he stopped everybody, and everybody was kind of kissing his ass, and he said, I just want to say to all my actors, thank you very much for doing this project, it means a lot to me. And that set the bar right there. Um, and I took that into the Big Ugly. I'm very proud of the, the role I've done, and it's the first time a director's given me a chance you know, I've been, t I go into casting sometimes, you know, and I say, look, take a chance on me. I don't, you know, give me something different. I'll blow it out the water for you. Everyone's always interested in the listeners about what cameras you shot on and what lenses and generally any other, you know, like gear that you felt was super useful. Red Gemini with Lomo lenses from the 1970s. I love the Lomos. They're the big, the big monster rehoused ones, right? That 35 is about the size of a watermelon. 
Yeah, I think it was as technology, the, the, the Red Gemini allowed us to film uh, in darker environments. And that was literally, um, Jeremy had to scramble to get those. Often technology is your worst enemy. I go, I go back to uh, Thoreau and Emerson. Um, we do not ride on the train, but it rides upon us. And I feel that way with, with advances in film technology. A lot of times what you're doing is you, you're stripping away modern advances to make something feel like film again. And so that was uh, when we looked at kind of the, the, the films we looked at as benchmarks of what we wanted. So the, the Loma lenses are the Russian lenses from the seventies. So shooting, so you have this camera from today, but you're, and even in color timing, what you're always doing is trying to um, uh, make you know, I learned on 35 millimeters. So you're, you're, you're now in digital. It's um, how are you um, less is more and you're stripping away uh, data. So it feels like film. I think you're definitely right about that, especially with something with a hard look like this, because you guys have a definitely a very film noir and very, I'd say, unique look that you probably wouldn't have been able to do if you were working directly with the studio. And just because you guys were independent, you were able to take those extra steps and do what you wanted to do. It's very easy to go with all the new technology, with all your, you know, all your sky shots, you know, and then and send up these little aeroplanes and get your shot for you as well. But it. I think nowadays it's harder to go back and say this is real filmmaking, you know, and 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 strip the table of all the all the gizmos and the technology and everything and say this is this is the movie we want to make. We made the movie we wanted to make. Vinny and I wanted to address performances, heart and soul, um, themes of honor, uh, Western noir. I think I think uh, now if we were to get together with our our financing team and talk about the next movies, I'd say right, we had 25 days on this. I think I think um, there's a zone that Clint Eastwood always talks about. He likes about 30, 30 to 36 days, right? And we've had 30, 63 days before. I think action fans. Uh, maybe could have used a little more action, but that wasn't our personal goal because we felt there's always two parts to making a movie. One is for the fans and one is for your own personal journey. Um, so I'd say if we were, yeah, you could add four more days to production and really do some, some more intricate uh, gun battles. But, but that is, um, you know, but in this, we, and that was, uh, that was true in the 1940s with film noir, which is those, those movies were, um, they were doing the big budget movies with the singing and dancing and color, that new color film they had, they were all excited about. And the noirs were on black and white and they had to shoot them at night and they had to shoot them for half the budget. And from that came a lot of interesting things. But, you know, when, when um, Junior beats the crap out of Will, or uh, Brandon beats the crap out of Nicholas Braun, that's one shot. And I talked about the scene in The Godfather when James Cann comes out and just beats the crap out of his brother-in-law, one shot. Uh, and so you, um, so the question is, and some of it, I think Vinny and I were bored with action. Like, right, you want to be able to add something more to it. 
Yeah, it's tedious. You got a you, you got a quarterback. So we did the one big fight scene, uh, you know, and that, um, you know, with with Vinny, it's like bam. We we did so many of those in, on the condemned, but when it came to that stuff, it was more like well, how can this, this? And maybe sometimes people thought, oh, we're coming into an action movie, but it's really not. It's a crime drama for young filmmakers or people making their first movie any advice that you would give, you know, just if you can distill down, you know, to any, any central things you all have learned throughout your careers. I would say it takes, you know, it takes a long time, you know, don't give up on your dream. Um, and I honestly think the harder you work at it, the luckier you'll get, you know, some of the things that fell in place for us, we've had a lot of tragedy uh, through this movie uh, with the loss of my wife and Scott's mum and dad. We took that, you know, we took that on our shoulders um, and kind of um, came out with a movie we're very proud of. I think, um, you know, I can sit through it time and time again. We were honest with ourselves. We were honest with our investors. Every dollar and more went into what you see. And we and 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 I think my closing thing is we are very proud of it and. And um, it, it's, it's created some fantastic relationships. What I always say to, to um, filmmakers, there are no white knights. You are your own white knight, or it's your, it's your best pal. And there's a, there's a myth in Hollywood, uh, in the Hollywood community, that yes, once in a while, you might, someone might shoot an incredible short film, and Jerry Bruckheimer will just be like, you're my next guy. You're my next woman directing this movie. And, but for 95%, there is no white knight. And the myth of Hollywood kind of uh, can, people can lose a decade of their life waiting. And uh, I think that's what, uh, if filmmakers can take a lesson from this is um, myself as a, as a director and Vinny as a, uh, actor and uh, both as producers, we just said nothing's going to happen unless we do it. We have to make it. That is so, something we've learned like again and again with all of these films. Everyone says that. That's you have to be the go, one to do it. Go, go, go. And, and fortunately, I had a um, professor, Janine Basinger at Wesleyan University, who the moment you wrote a script, she said, get ready to shoot it. She's like, you're going to keep rewriting it, but go. And, uh, there's so many reasons in the, in the system and the business to wait. And so you don't wait. And, and that, that, um, because you look 10 years goes by like that, you know, like, what have I done? It's always take action. All right. Well, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. Honestly, I legitimately could have kept talking. Like, oh, man, could talk all night uh, with those guys. I want to have Vinny as a producer on all my sets. <laughs> yeah, I th- I do, too. Like, I mean, being the producer, being like the, you know, seasoned actor amongst all these young kind of actors and exactly. being able to just kind of be the leader, captain of the team. And send him over to talk to anyone who gets unruly. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it does. What I take away from this is once again, an independent film, the passion that is involved in it. Like these are two guys that have both done many bigger projects. You know, they've done a huge budget movie, I guess, you know, huge from the consideration of Indie World, a 25 million budget. And Vinny's been in 
God knows how many successful movies, but they both committed. This is their passionate and you can tell. And also Vinny's like probably one of his best performances of career. And it just comes from that dedication. Absolutely. You know, we continue to hear whether your budget is 1 million, 5 million or 20 million. You're dealing with the same, many of the same issues, and you have to have that same amount of passion to push the project forward. And, you know, there are upsides to doing independent films, like talking to them immediately, being outside of the system. They got to push the look, and the look is great in this movie. And the Lomo lenses again. I love Lomo lenses. I mean, they just got such a great character to them. And it but makes, they, makes so much sense that he said he was going after the noir feel. I didn't know that going in and watching the film. And I kept looking at the interior specifically and thinking, wow, that's such an amazing, cool, uh, high contrast, dark look. And now that when Scott said he was specifically going after the noir feel, it, it makes complete sense. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a freedom that you feel in this movie. There's a looseness um, and an excitement that comes from two seasoned veterans. And I think that that shows the technique. And you can tell in the story that they care. They care a lot. My big takeaway is one we've heard before and continue to hear. But Scott said there are no white knights. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's you. It's your best bud. And this idea that you're going to wait around for someone to come help you make your thing. And they're going to be the, the magic solution to make your movie is a myth, or maybe it happens 1% of the time, but you need to be your white knight. Right. You have to believe in it and you have to convince others to believe in it. So I hope, uh, you know, that that's you and me, Steve, uh, Vinny Jones and Scott wiper. Who's who? Yeah, I was just about to say, who's Vinny Jones? <laughs> well, uh, the jury will still be out, but uh, hopefully we'll, we'll know a little bit more in a couple years when we make our movie. Filmmaking is a collaborative experience, and so is this podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Framework underscore Productions for upcoming episode announcements, and leave your questions in the comments for our future guests. The first 10 to comment are immediately entered to win a monthly prize. Please take a second to subscribe so you know about future episodes and leave a review. It really does help us. For more information about today's guest, visit independentfilmmakersguide.com to see visuals, diagrams, pictures from the movie, and links to the episode in video and article form. IFG is a community, and we want to help you with your filmmaking experience. Hi, I'm Stephanie Delatour. I'm an art director and graphic designer for Film and TV in New York City, and today I'm reading the credits. IFG is created by Framework Productions and directed by James Allardyce. It's produced by Matt Mundy, edited by Audrey Ray McHale, and hosted by Stephen Pierce. The music is by Glassboy. Find his music on freemusicarchive.org. See and listen to all the episodes plus bonus content at independentfilmmakersguide.com. Thanks for listening. Hey friends, we just wanted to take a quick moment to talk about two personal things. First, we wanted to thank you, our listening community and our wonderful guests, learning so much together along the way and continuing to learn, sharing our stories, making a lot of new friends and collaborating, which is exactly what this is all about. Which also brings me to my second point. In great part to many of these new relationships, we wanted to let you know that we've taken a lot of this advice ourselves and made our own narrative feature film heard. 
H-E-R-D, Heard, which is premiering this October on Friday the 13th in select theaters as well as on VOD. Personally, I think it's the perfect kind of scary movie to watch during our favorite scary season. So we'd love for you to celebrate with us and watch Heard. You can pre-order it on Apple TV and, of course, do the communal thing, see it in theaters. Of course, for all of this, please see our show notes, but basically... We're going to keep it all updated at herd.film. That's H-E-R-D dot F-I-L-M, herd.film as well. Thank you again. And be sure to give us a rating and a review over on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to build this community and collaborate. IFG, how movies get made.